0: Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what Brave Feminine Leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates, melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I am so thrilled today to introduce you to Rochelle Courtenay. Welcome, Rochelle. Hello. It's so nice to be here and it's so nice to see you in that fabulous pink. Beautifully on point for share the dignity so let's get into the story of that so i'm going to share a little bit of your background first and then i'm going to hand over to you to take it away from there so. So Rochelle is share the dignity's founder and managing director, though the title she's most proud of is pad lady Rochelle has led a team of volunteers collecting over 3.3 million period products across Australia. In March 2015, Rochelle took matters into her own hands, collecting sanitary items with her local community and distributing them to local shelters. As a result, a simple idea of giving dignity to women, Share the Dignity was created and has grown to a national charity with over 6,000 volunteers. Incredible. When Rochelle first learned of homeless women going without basic sanitary items, during their menstrual cycle she decided the question wasn't why is no one doing anything but rather what's stopping me from doing something Rochelle refers to herself as an accidental social entrepreneur I can't wait to get into that story Rochelle's mum to two gorgeous daughters and we are so so lucky to have you here with us today so thank you for joining our conversation I'm
1: stoked to be here
0: i don't think there's going to be many people who haven't come across you before because you've been doing such a fantastic job with share the dignity but for people who haven't can you tell us you know why are you who you are how did we get to march 2015
1: yeah look i think sitting reading that article changed me forever and i and i so proudly say it changed Australia forever but to read that there were 48,000 women who didn't have somewhere safe to call home I found that number extraordinary right but then to read that they were having to use socks and newspaper and watered up toilet paper to deal with their period to me was just barbaric I could imagine that that happened in a third world country but to happen in Australia in the lucky country and to be really honest if I hadn't suffered severely from endometriosis, it probably would never have resonated so strongly with me. Um, You know, for me, having a period was a monumental event every single month. Um, And I'm now a 50-year-old woman who's had a partial hysterectomy and then a full hysterectomy, and um, I'm now clear of that. But then you go into a whole new realm of things that happen after that that nobody ever talks about. So to read that article and then think oh how do you just jog on from that I couldn't obviously but then it wasn't the first article that was ever written and I just don't understand I always said to my daughters the standard that you walk past is the standard that you accept so for me to just walk past that and jog on meant that it wasn't that important to me Um, and you know as a mother of two daughters I have an amazing niece who has I, I have helped raise I have a stepdaughter In some months, it would cost me a 100 bucks for period products. So I could never imagine being a mum, not being able to supply that to my kids or the fact that I needed to have twice as many period products as everybody else. But I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have a washing machine, a shower, a hot water bottle, endless amounts of chocolate and somewhere to rest my head when I had my periods. So, you know, it's really strongly resonated with me.
0: So this article you're referring to was an article in Mamma Mia that you saw yeah, at the time. Yes, yeah, absolutely. In February 2015. Okay. So you had your own business at that point in time, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I had my own personal training business and I had my own photography business. So I had two businesses. Um, and before I had worked for Fernwood when my before I was pregnant, I was pregnant, the first time I worked for um, humor, sporting goods. So I traveled all around. Um, Australia for both of those roles but I knew that when my kids started high school I needed to have my own business so I could set my own hours Um, and so my personal training business had probably 40 I think I had 44 clients who would see me every half an hour all females I asked them all to bring me one packet of sanitary items for every wine they had in the month of February I did all right, clearly. I knew why I had constant clients. I was called the enter trainer, so not just just a PT. um, And and I loved my clients, and some of them are still really precious friends of mine. Um, They can drink as much wine as they like now are my rules. Um, But that obviously kicked off Share the Dignity, and it helped um make sure my job was always to make sure that there wasn't a woman in Australia who didn't know that the problem existed because like me you can't unhear it you can't unhear that somebody's not got access to sanitary items and my other job was to make it so simple for people to donate that they couldn't not do it.
0: Okay so lots of people may have been impacted by an article that they read um and you know, may have even thought about what can I do to help the problem, what do you think it is that makes you tick that you you kind of went, actually, I am going to do something about it? And then once you collected the first sort of set of pads from all of your clients, how did it, you know, how did it go from there? Because there's an enormous amount of energy behind doing what you've done.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I never probably set out to do what I did it was really just how do you not do it so to give you an idea um there was another lady who also started share the dignity with me but as it skyrocketed and it rolled and it rolled she just tapped out and said I'm out of here and I remember sitting there crying going how am I going to do this and then I was just like well no babe how are you not going to do it right how do you say no to the woman you just spoke to this is probably A really pivotal moment for me was that I spoke to a woman in Northern Territory who worked in a petrol station and she told me a story about a woman who she knew was experiencing homelessness, who had bled across the floor, stolen pads off the counter, went to the bathroom, came out half an hour later, um, and she said, what was less dignified, stealing them or letting her just bleed everywhere? And I remember um, the other lady saying, Can't we just keep it the way it is? And I said, well, how do you not help those people? So for me, it was the next day she sent me a text and said, I'm out. You're on your own. And I literally went, oh, okay." You know, I kind of took it, had to take a big, deep breath and go, "Oh, well, you know, how can you not? It was never not how was I going to do something. It was always just this is problems too big. And it was always, there was always somebody else who was going to jump into somebody else's shoes anyway. It was a problem that people hadn't heard of before. So they wanted to be part of the solution. And I think that was the whole reason Share the Dignity was so successful is that I knew I could never do it by myself. I always call it the People's Charity. We have 6,200 volunteers currently, and every single one of them are why we are successful.
0: Okay so how you you said that your job was always to make sure that people knew the problem existed so how do you go about that?
1: Yeah oh look I I did have to obviously surround myself with amazing people who had skills my husband is incredible and has played a pivotal role in this so little did I know to have to share the dignity so to collect pads and tampons I needed to have a board of directors, a constitution, pay fees and permits in every state, licences and insurances. Sure. I had no idea any of that. I just thought we were going to collect pads and tampons and we were going to give them to the charities that we work with, right? Um, and that was really um, DLA Piper came on board really early on. Shane went to school with the managing director, they gave us $30,000 worth of pro bono work. um, And that set us up to be to get the um, public benevolent institution, which was amazing, um, and helped us really set ourselves on the way of what we needed to do. Um, Very early on, we had real interest from Terry White, Chemist, Cole, some big corporates, right? Because there was never... Well, not, I won't say never, but it's very rare that you can be a business and make money from a charity. People were going to walk into your store. They were going to buy products. Now, they weren't just going to go in and get pads and tampons. They're probably going to grab their milk and all their drugs or whatever else, and they're going to donate the pads and tampons in your store. So that was always my um, niche piece that I always had um, for everyone, right? So now we have Woolworths on board who collect for us in – in March and August, and they are in every part of the country. Everybody knows where their Woolworths are. And we also get five cents from the sale of every sanitary item that they sell within those months. So that helps us to be able to share the dignity. But to get a big corporate like that on board and to use their voice as well has been incredible. So,
0: Where did the name come from?
1: Share the Dignity was a name that came pretty much straight away. I th- I actually think in the article it was, it talked about dignity in itself. So our, you know, the whole idea was how do we share the dignity? How do we make sure that everybody knows about it? I remember my daughter was in grade, uh, I had daughters in grade nine and 11 at that stage and they had more skills than I did. And they did up a little poster for me. You should see our graphics from back then. We all laugh about it now, but um, you know, they were fundamental in helping us set up the Facebook page, do all of that sort of stuff. So when I set the Facebook page up on the 1st of March 2015, which we ironically call that our birthday because it was the first day that we set up the page, it was the first time that we started to share stories of where their people's donations had gone um, and it really just skyrocketed from there.
0: So the business started through Facebook? the business
1: wouldn't even exist if it wasn't through Facebook. What would you have, like, if you don't think, if you think about what would you have done if it wasn't for Facebook, what, taking a page out, an advert out in the middle of a page? That's probably why the solution was never available before, right? yes. So it was all through social media, remembering that we didn't have any, we didn't have any money. We literally just told stories. Ultimately, I think that our Facebook journey has been because it's been really raw that storytelling of the women that we meet or the charities that we speak with are just really raw and real. And, you know, every woman likes to pick up another woman making spelling mistakes, so they loved it. I was good at that. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, I was doing it on the run between clients, like literally. I would. My first client was 5.30 in the morning, so I got up at 5 o'clock. My first client was 5.30. They were every half an hour until 11.30 in the morning, Then I would go home, literally throw food into my mouth and then there would be about seven hours worth of work to do just to answer all the PMs and all of the organisation that it took to get it. I would sometimes go to bed at 11 and have to be back up again at five, Um, especially at the very beginning where we had no idea what we were doing. We were making shit up as we went ultimately. So there was no thought of and I don't really have a risk head anyway what is the worst thing that can happen we can fail fail what fail the women that don't have anything already I don't that didn't that didn't bother me
0: no what skills did you You know when you when you think back now and I'm gonna say it from a point of view of you know you might call yourself an accidental social entrepreneur but you know my goodness incredible success um, as a founder creating something out of nothing what's what did you bring to it and what would you say is your superpower
1: yeah look I bought a energy and a passion to make a difference I think that was the highest strength that I bought I think that I had always coached netball I'd always been part of being part of a team. So I am a team. I would say I was a team leader. I can get people to do what we need to do. Mm. And everybody who's in a team wants to be treated with dignity and respect, right? So that was all, that's just, you treat people the way you want to be treated yourself. So you would give them choices. No one likes to be dictated with what they want to do. And I still do it, you know, like if we have an intern here, I'll say, here's three different topics. You choose what you'd like to do. You're much better going to get a much better outcome from them if you give them the choice that they take an ownership on it so when there were 74 jobs to do i'd say i wouldn't give them too many choices right but here's three choices what do you what would you like to do and then they would own that so um yeah i think it's that but really that tenacity that no doesn't really mean no and just ask another way and just keep going and going because i had personally i had nothing to lose
0: yeah. Um, Absolutely fascinating. Now, I know, and we're not going to tell this story today, but you've been very open about your own background and your story and ups and downs along the way. And so, you know, there's no storybook kind of background there, but you haven't let that define you in any way, shape or form. You've really created an incredible kind of future and platform And one of the things I found on your website that really touched me deeply, and I think is really in line with the conversations we're having with female leaders was a quote, and I'm just gonna share that with the audience if I can, and then I just wanna kind of reflect on it with you. So the quote is, when women support women, it feels like nothing can hold us back. We may be weak, but we are also strong. We are vulnerable, but we are also invincible. We know fear, but in its face, we can be brave. We too often remain silent, but when we find our voice, we can change the world. So beautiful, and I know so heartfelt um, from you. I just, when have you felt fear on this journey? When when have the moments been with Share the Dignity where you've felt any fear?
1: Oh, to be really honest, my my fear has come from other women trying to tear me down. Trying to bring, yeah, trying to bring up my um, past to yes. define who I am today. And yes. I believe that everything, I try to be better than I was yesterday. I'm certainly much better than I was 10 years ago and I'm better than I was 15 years ago. So how other people like to tear people down breaks my heart, but that shows them as girls, I'm a woman and I'm here to lead women to be better and to be there for those that don't have a voice. Yeah.
0: Yeah extraordinary um in terms of how you've done that um what does brave mean to you um
1: brave means to me doing things that take you out of your comfort zone sometimes but being brave for some people is just getting up every day and jumping in the shower so different brave means different things to different people but for me it's getting outside of my comfort zone. So I will never, ever forget having to stand up and speak in front of 1,500 people. I hated public speaking with a passion. Now I get up there and I remember the first time literally being sick to my stomach. Um, But I had to submit what exactly I was going to say and I had to read it. And after that day, I went, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. If you want me to speak somewhere, I will get up and I will tell a story. But that story will be dependent on what day, what the way the wind flows. I don't care. But I get up there now and I speak a story that only I can speak, and it comes from my heart. And every story is always different. So I'm not defined by a piece of paper or a memory because I don't have a I don't have a very good memory. There's probably seventy thousand balls in the air for me, and trying to just concentrate on one. Particular thing is not my is not my strength when it comes to public speaking, but ask me to speak about share the dignity and I will give take you on a journey. I'll make people laugh and I'll make people cry, but I will be raw and I'll be honest. yeah,
0: yeah, um, okay. So let's talk about um, some of the moments along the way in terms of share the dignity. And I know that very early on it was picked up by Emrichiano, Richiano, I think, um, yeah. and and went viral. What did that look like? You know, here you are juggling clients from five thirty to eleven thirty every morning and and cramming this in between. Take me back to that day. Oh my god,
1: it was absolutely manic. So I think at that stage we probably had four hundred people on our Facebook page. I could probably tell you every single one of their middle names because I probably grew up with them or around them or trained them. Or um, and the day that and so at that stage we'd started to collect volunteers from different states who'd go oh I'll help and I'd be like Yep, okay well you're the state team leader all right I'll help all right well you need to help us with the what's your strengths like I'd have compass and everyone has this joke that you got the phone call from Rochelle you've got a job right so but the phone call was to build a relationship you can't ask people to do something if you don't have a relationship with them so I always wanted to know who they are and why they ticked because that's I was just interested right so I could have told you the first hundred volunteers we had I could probably tell you their middle names and their children's names right so um when Emra Shiano had picked it up was one of the volunteers had sent her a message and said did you have you heard about this she then posted on her page within hours we had 22,000 people on our page and The amount of messages, we didn't have an auto message because I had no idea how to do that. I don't even think there were auto messages back then. But anyway, um, and then people just asking a million questions. And to be honest, we just made stuff up. And for those, there was probably two weeks where I reckon I existed on maybe three hours sleep each night. And there was probably five of us who were answering the messages and they were probably all state team leaders. And, you know, most of those state team leaders volunteer state team leaders are still around they are absolute champions and they talk about what I call my they call my bombs oh another Rochelle bomb went off and um, just we just laugh about it now like the very first time we did it's in the bag was when I was cleaning out my bathroom cupboard and we probably we'd done the August collection we'd collected 150,000 period products which was incredible but then I was cleaning out my bathroom cupboard I put the post on this Facebook page oh maybe there were maybe 40,000 people on that page and posted on it at five o'clock in the morning. By the time I had got home at 11.30, that had gone viral. And I hadn't told anyone we were doing it. I said, oh, we'll just make it up as we go along. Handbags were getting dropped off at volunteers' houses. People couldn't walk in their houses. The first year we collected 23,000 bags, the year after 110,000 bags. So the enormity of the growth of the charity was huge. But it didn't come like most charities came with a really thought-out structure of how stuff was going to get
0: done. And I, th- I think that's the success of it. Yes. How many bags do you think you'll collect this year? Um, we're
1: sitting at about 85,000 bags now, and I think we'll probably get to 100,000
0: bags. It's such a great conversation, isn't it? If you are loving the conversation and you want to hear more about how you can take the next step in your career, come and find out about our masterclasses. Join our website at bravefeminineleadership.com. See you there. COVID has severely affected our charity as it has others. I wanted to ask about that.
1: Yeah. So the year before, not last year, but the year before we collected 143,000. Last year, 95,000. Okay. So we have been severely affected, but people are doing it tough. What, it's in the bag or? Sorry? Two times a year? No, we only do it at Christmas time. It's our Christmas, it's in the bag Christmas appeal. So we do March and August where we put collection boxes out in all the Woolworths and all MP offices, hairdressing salons, and more people that collect, the more people know about it, right? So our goal every March and August is to collect 200000 Um, donations of period products um, each drive and then it's in the bag we work with around 3,200 charities in Australia and we send out an email to them in October saying how many bags would you like and we've had 135,000 requested this year so there will be a big gap again of the need being filled but the end of the day after last year last year was so emotional because it was the first time we've never been able to collect what was needed for the charities so there were so many tears there i was heartbroken and charities were calling saying well what am i going to give the ladies for christmas it was it was absolutely heartbreaking i'm like we can only give what we get donated so if we don't get them donated we cannot give them but soul crushing at the same time because i'm a fixer right that's my that's my job my job is to fix one
0: problem has that always been the way you've approached things or you know have you always been a fixer always looked to problems and worked out a way to get around them
1: i think so i think so but i've also been the person who would put my hand up and take take one for the team as well yeah so middle child syndrome i think that's cool (laughs) whatever it is so
0: um Learning to lead a large business, you know, how's that? Because um, you've now got a really big business, um, you know, with an enormous amount of volunteers that come on board. Um, tell us about that. You know, what are some of the lessons along the way there?
1: I think the biggest less not the biggest lesson, but the biggest obstacle for me was not knowing everybody individually, but mm. keeping that realm of family and connection that was there um I think we're really lucky to have had workplace by Facebook give us that domain to be able to communicate so I do a lot of videos I do a lot of crying I think that I'm really raw to be really honest I am just who I am the person that you see right in front of you right now is exactly who I'll be in 10 minutes unless I'm super cranky and then I'll you know I'm hormonal but I'm in menopause I can be whatever I want to be right no one wants to argue with that shit but at the end of the day I am just who I am and I try to communicate to people in many different in many different ways and at the end of the day my job is to inspire them to be the best they can be at being a shiro but to also make it a super easy I know how t- precious time is right time is the most precious gift any of us have right so If you're going to give me a bucket with 10 pieces of time in it, I'm going to choose nine of them to spend with my family and my friends, right? So I'm going to give the other one to helping, but you're only going to get one of those 10, right? So we have always tried to, I always look at it. If that's too complicated, I'm not asking our volunteers to do it. You need to dumb it down, not dumb it down, but make it as simple as possible so that if they're giving me one hour of their time that I'm using that the most effective way that I can.
0: Okay. So when you and I first met, you shared something with me that I thought was lovely about um, you put yourself in situations or you put yourselves in rooms to be lucky. Uh, Yes. So talk about that because networking is really challenging for a lot of women.
1: Yeah, look, look, I'm not, I would I would say I was an extrovert anyway. So I completely understand what being, I've employed introverts. I freaking love them because they don't want to talk to me all the time and take all my time, right? Um, because I know how precious time is. But um, being in a room for me was never a hard thing. But I do absolutely understand how uncomfortable that is for people. I knew that every time I went to an event, that I would speak to three different people that I'd never spoken to before. That was always my goal. But also being in the rooms of the people that I wanted to speak to was really important. And regard, I applied for every award that was out there, even in the first year when I'd done nothing. So yeah. it was never about me winning the award, but it was about being in that room with people that were successful and people who were already talking to the women that I wanted to speak to. Lorna Jane boost juice like all of them There are incredible women doing amazing work out there and if you can just learn one little nugget of gold from a conversation then you're on a winner so yeah that was probably my rocket fuel of how could I be in that room with those people what was my target and what was always um, going to be my outcome
0: uh, is there marketing in your background somewhere
1: Look, I'd probably always done it as part of my roles, right, in, all, in, every, in everything. I think that there's marketing in every role, regardless of what you do, right? Um, so, yeah, but I also believed passionately and today believe passionately that there isn't a woman in Australia who wouldn't be empathetic to a young woman putting socks in her undies to deal with her, period. At the end of the day, that just kept coming back to my core. Just keep talking to people because there's no way that they can't. And what did I want them to do? Sometimes all I wanted them to do was to use their social media voice and talk about the problem. Because if you told one other person and they told another person, it would continuously go around Australia. Now, there are 13 million women in Australia. There are only 220,000 of them on our Facebook page. So there's clearly a lot of people I still haven't got to. Is that where we're going, 13 million? Absolutely. Well, and I also think one of the things I haven't done well was communicate to men because I've really never worked in a male and I've never worked with men. I've come from Fernwood, I've come from female fitness, I've come from um, female brands, right? So I've never really communicated to males. Now, if we really think about it, they're part of the solution. They're also part of a donorship that we don't even touch into. Yes. But I just also find that it's much easier. A woman understands what a woman goes through when they get their period. No matter what you would say to a man, they just would not understand that, right? So com- learning to communicate to men and to speak to them. I remember the first time I had to speak to a room 100 men. I was terrified. I'd already done it 7,000 times in front of females, yes. but I was terrified. But there were men in that room crying. Yes, yeah but I always, yeah, i don't I don't know why I just didn't have confidence in front of the men, but in front of the women, I absolutely did. So I've really had to work on that. Okay.
0: But that's changed now.
1: It has changed now, yeah, but it it probably wasn't that way for the first five years.
0: When I listen to you, it's um, extraordinary in the sense about you know you say you know unlike other charities, we didn't arrive with a big plan and things like that, and we kind of just ran with it as it happened. You know, it's really interesting because so many of the people that I talk to, um, you know, they think about what's my passion and where am I going to go and what am I going to do and all these things, and they build some of these things up to be really big steps, you know, that they need to take. When the reality is when I'm listening to what you've done, it's just it's just the next step, the next step, the next step constantly.
1: Yeah, just walk in the water and then start swimming when you can swim. Get back up again, start swimming when you can swim. I, um, yeah, I don't, have a, I don't have that fear of failure. Yes. So I think that, for me, um, is, is, a, is a superpower, right, because ultimately what was, what could go wrong? What really could go wrong? What we wouldn't, I mean, the worst thing that could have happened to me ever was that charities were going to call me last year and say, what am I going to give women for Christmas when we've been able to provide for them? Now I have a risk factor. Because now I'm fearful that I can't give you what I promised to give you. At the beginning, I'm promised. Any, no one expected anything from me. So I was like the dark horse, right? But now there are expectations. But now there are, I'm planned within an inch of my life now. Right? i I've very, very clear, strong goals now of where I can tell you that by Sunday afternoon, our Facebook page will have reached 220,000. I've always had very clear goals and I've always made them happen except for last year when we did not get the bags that we needed to get mm-hmm. so even I mean I set a budget every single year every single year it's on it's on the money so it COVID threw me under the bus ran over me and went back and forth for a couple of times like everybody else but we just had to I mean we're lucky here we're a small team right so you really nimble it's like okay well what do we do well this this is how we're going to change and navigate and I know that 2022 has some super exciting stuff that is going to take us from what I st- I call I've always called our charity in the form of it's a baby oh we're in a pram now now we're at primary school we're in prep we're in primary school next year we're going to high school so we're seven years old we're in grade seven we're going to high school we're doing some big shit now right yes. and and for me it means that some people who've been on the journey to
0: high school they'll go in different directions yes. Absolutely. Do you think, um, from your experience, do you think anyone could have done what you've done? Yeah, yeah, they could have. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think
1: that I don't think I'm remarkable in any way, but I also understand that I am unique. Yes. Um, and that I come with a passion that is very—I've never met anyone who's as passionate as what I am about periods in the world. It's like incredible. I wish it was an easier topic,
0: yes. to be honest,
1: but it's not. And you know what? You're only given what you can handle.
0: In my first series, I spoke to Christy Chong from Body. so she's pretty passionate about periods too. So there's a few out there. Um, yeah. Obviously, not it's not in the charity space like you are, but um, you know, the conversation I think is um, is happening much more. As is the conversation around menopause, that were just subjects that weren't weren't kind of spoken about before. So. Um, I would just love to ask, are there any role models that you have kind of, you know, looked to through your journey?
1: Yeah, I think there are lots of different role models for me and not all of them will be people that are in the public eye. Like, And role models are different for different people, right? So for me, I don't know if you'd classify it as a role model, but meeting a young woman who'd fled domestic family violence at the age of 14 and was living on the streets and had to steal socks from a laundromat, dirty people's socks to put in her underwear to deal with her period, then ending up in, again in a domestic violence shelter at the age of 21 with a baby. She's a role model to me. Mm. She is tenacity at its strongest, right? that The will to live for her was much stronger than the will to die. And for that, you... You can't beat that when somebody when somebody gets knocked down a thousand times and she just keeps getting back up again. Janine Ellis from Boost Juice has always been a really clear role model to me. She is really driven and knows exactly what she wants, yet she's, she's, she's kind and she's gentle and she's respectful to people. Like, I find those kind of qualities really amazing. I have met some people through um, the Telstra, through Oz Mumpreneurs, Lots of them have been amazing role models for me in all different areas, right, um, and for different reasons.
0: I can imagine a lot of people look to you as a role model too. Uh,
1: yeah, if, if they choose to. But, yeah, look, do you know what? At the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a nice person, I like me, and I will do the best for anyone who needs a voice
0: it rochelle we are so lucky to have someone as passionate as you driving this um i would just love to ask you um it took a long time on your journey before you were comfortable actually acknowledging the role you played in this and taking a salary you know i know you and i yeah. spoke about that and and you shared with me that you saw a ted talk that had an impact along as uh, together with your board tell me about that
1: yeah it was a ted talk where people i can't, i actually can't we didn't have any staff, and obviously, my I'd given away my um, photography business very early on because I couldn't go back out and do photo shoots at four o'clock because I just had too much stuff to do. So, and then obviously, as Share the Dignity grew on, I think it was about the third year, it was just like I'd probably dwindled down to about twenty clients because I was never I was never here. I was always doing Share the Dignity, and my board had said. I think it's time that you took away. And I said, no, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't. That's not what people need. And they're like, people need you to be in this full time is what they need you to be. Um, And then I, and then one of them sent me this TED talk that somebody had done that said, why do we feel like we should pay people in the not-for-profit less? Because their impact of work is far greater than it is in the corporate world. Where is this fair? Anyway, so I watched that and that to me was, really important and I think I took that on when we look at staff and we now have a staff of 15 um, and they are the most valuable people we couldn't share the dignity any longer without having them you know like but it's been a really slow journey in transitioning from that Um, but it is a big beautiful beast share the dignity now so you know and I, I funnily I walk into a meeting just to myself and another staff member and we sit down at a table with um, eight government <laughs> officials who probably there's eight of them doing what two of us actually do. So we're still very under, understaffed, under-resourced, but at the end of the day, with donations dropping 30%, we're lucky to be alive yeah. and still floating. And at the end of the day, a sustainable business is what I need to have because there's still
0: so many people who need us got a huge vision for this business so you know share share that
1: yeah well ultimately I'd love to be redundant so that would be amazing but in order for us to be redundant the government would need to take on board exactly what we're doing and to ensure that women and girls are afforded the dignity of life that we all take for granted making sure that every school has access to sanitary items every hospital has access to sanitary items and they're available in all public toilets and places where women are right but that ain't going to happen anytime soon but I will be advocating continuously for change for that because 173,000 women turned to homelessness services last year more than 5 million Australians live below the poverty line you've got to imagine that only a million of those are menstruating women and girls that's not even the correct figure but we only collect 200,000 twice a year that's only enough to help 50,000 women for four months it's not enough to have a major impact in Australia, but it certainly has put a dent on it. What we need to continue to do is to make sure that there isn't a woman in Australia who doesn't know about us, Um, but it's also for me now become a global issue. So how next year we're pulling together a global period poverty forum, which will take place in Brisbane. It is pulling together all of the leaders from around the world to take learnings from each other to look at what do we need to do to eradicate period poverty and remove the shame and stigma around the world using our voices to amplify the message around the world so what we've done in is yes wow which is super freaking exciting right yes. so i've been doing mentoring of people around the world and i every time i speak to them they're like oh my god why did i not talk to you like a year ago why did i not? and every time i have a conversation with them i also learn something so it really was quite simple how about we all just get together How about we all just get together and we do have Zoom sponsoring it. So it will be available in, you know, 30 different languages. So if you're in Nigeria or you're in Ireland and you can't get to Australia, then everybody will be able to be part of it. So there are 10 people on our um, content advisory board from all around the world doing amazing work in this space. So I'm really excited to see what impact globally Share the Dignity can have.
0: Amazing. The final question I ask of everybody, Rochelle, is um, in your, um, from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and does it need to change?
1: Um, I think it looks different for everybody and I think that people need to wear their own brave feminine leadership in whatever way they want to. For me, it looks like being raw, vulnerable and honest um, and to lead with your heart and your, your brain and your gut. Your gut is always right, right? So I think sometimes we forget that the higher up we climb a ladder, I think we forget to trust our gut because we're so busy.
0: An absolute honor um, and privilege to have the chance to hear your story, Rochelle. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for everything you're doing. I can't thank you enough for joining the conversation or letting us join your conversation. you i'd love to talk about periods all day if the conversation's resonating with you and it's starting some questions around you and your future and your next step come and join us come and join the conversation at bravefeminineleadership.com we would love to meet you